0: Christ, God is our Father. Most of you know that already, but many of us don't live as though this is true. God is our Father. This is a very simple and very familiar truth. It is one of the first truths that you teach a new Christian. It's one of the first few truths that a child learns in a Christian home. God is our Father. We pray about this. We have songs about this. It is simple to grasp because we see fathers around us. We see fathers who love and care and provide. And so we connect the dots. And because we see fathers, we connect the dots. And that says something to us about how God is our Father. But fathers can be harsh. And fathers can spoil or ignore. But God the Father certainly does not. You know, if we are not careful, we might make weak or wrong conclusions about the kind of father he is in light of fathers we have around us. But God the Father is different and none can compare with him. And he is all-wise and he is most perfect and he is limitless and he is unending. And so he is far above and beyond any understanding of fatherhood. That we have. God is our Father. And we know this already, but my question is, do we? Let me ask this question. How are you doing in the area of fear? Your answer will indicate how much you understand that in Christ, God is your Father. Do you fear that God's love will end? Do you fear that God will not provide for you? Do you fear that though you might be saved, that at some point God is going to let go of you, or maybe that the hardships in your life are just punishments from Him for your sins. Beloved, we need our minds and our hearts to be shaped by the fatherhood of God from Romans 8 this morning. We will continue the study of this rich and very well known chapter, and now we come to the doctrine and to the blessings of adoption. We will study these four verses so that we see that in Christ, God is a good father for us we will see the truth of god as father and we we will experience the goodness of his fatherhood and so by the spirit god is really our father and he is very much good to us but what does it mean that he is our father and what does it mean that he is good to us follow along as i read from verses 14 to 17 Romans 8, 14-17, let us see God's fatherhood and let us see his goodness for us in Christ. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In Romans 8, we see security. In Romans 1, 2, and 3, we see sin. In Romans 4, we see faith. In Romans 5, we see Christ and the work of Christ. In Romans 6, we see how he changes our lives In Romans 7, we see that tension of trying to please God and be accepted by God, by the law. But in Romans 8, we see this life, we see the spirit, we see security. We started with the first four verses where we saw that through the gospel, we have a secure standing with God. And now we are entirely different, verses 5 to 8. We are no longer in the mindset of the flesh, but in the mindset of the Spirit. For that does not and cannot please God or obey God, but by the Spirit we have life now and fullness of life then. And last week we saw that because of this change, we are no longer in debt to sin. We owe it nothing. Instead, by the power of the Spirit, we are to put sin to death and experience that, that newness and joy and intimacy with God. In today's passage, we move on. We, we walk in holiness as children of God. So we will see the essence of our adoption and followed by the blessings of our adoption. To see his fatherhood and also his goodness to us. We start with fear to see what he has saved us from. As we walk in the path of holiness, we will face fears. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Beloved, fear no more. Like a dominating force over our lives, it has done significant damage to us personally, but as a community, this fear. I have said this before, and I have personally experienced it, that what we need is to know and rest In God's fatherly love for us to find healing and restoration, in trial of any kind, what we need more than healing, more than a fixing of the situation, we need to know and rest in his fatherly care. But we are afraid when it comes to holiness. Are you afraid that maybe you are not good enough for God? Maybe you look at your life and you see weaknesses and you assume that at some point God's going to give up and let go. While this fear might be real, God is for you, not against you. Or maybe you have fears about prayer. Maybe you are fearful that God is distant, that God doesn't hear, that God is busy, that God does not know. Maybe you are fearful that He's holding goodness back from you. He sees your need, but for some reason he is holding goodness and blessing back from you. But friends, know that he is not away from us, but he is with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. The Spirit is dwelling in us. We see that all throughout Romans 8. And so when it comes to prayer, let us not be afraid. But instead, let us approach him. With confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us not be afraid of what is to come. Maybe you are afraid that you're not going to make it. I find it interesting that as soon as you get saved and you start growing, the evil one comes with his temptations and lies. You're not going to make it. So maybe you are fearful that though you are forgiven, somehow you will still face the anger of God or the judgment of God and you fear that you need to be a better Christian by now. You need to do good enough in order to get to heaven. But beloved, he will not abandon you but will keep you. Verse 6, you have peace. Verse 11, you have resurrection. Here's a portion from a hymn written by John Newton in the 18th century. Begone, unbelief. My Savior is near, and for my relief will surely appear. By prayer, let me wrestle, and he wilt perform. With Christ in the vessel, I smile at the storm. Unbelief, be gone. Fear, be gone. I am no longer a slave to fear. Fear has no dwelling place in me. I have Christ. And if Christ is in the vessel, we can smile at the storm. The Spirit is in us. Not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of adoption. The Spirit who is from God, that we may understand the things freely given to us by God. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We were in sin. We were under law. We were on the road to condemnation. But because of Romans 8.1, we are in Christ, we are under grace, and we are on the road to life. For wherever the grace of God goes, there goes freedom as well. And if he is providing you freedom, why would you turn back? How are you viewing your relationship with God? In fear? As slaves? Or as sons? With joy. Are you resistant to holiness? Or are you eager to be holy? Are you confident in prayer? Or are you reluctant Are you assuming that he has freed you so that you do what you want? Or do you understand that he has freed you so that you do what you ought? We have been set free from fear. It says in this passage that we have been justified. If you remember the first sermon of this series, we were born in sin. God gave us a good and holy law. We could not keep the law. The law only exposed and in a sense energized our sins. God sent Christ As a sin offering, he became sin for us. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh so that in him we would no longer be under condemnation. God sees us in Christ, declares us righteous and acceptable because the work of Christ is now on our account. We have a new standing before God. And in a sense, adoption and justification are similar. We have a new standing and status before him. In adoption, which is mentioned four times in these four verses, we are no longer a slave, but a son. Because of the right time, God the Son became a son of man, so that the sons of men might become the sons of God. All of God works to save all of us. So the Father loved and sent Christ. Christ gave himself for us and now it is the spirit of adoption that makes this real in our lives by grace through faith. We were in sin under, under condemnation, but by receiving Jesus and believing in his name, we have been given the right to be called, what? Children of God. And so see, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. One author, in light of that verse, made the following comment, that John could not get over it, and he never will. He he says, eternity will not exhaust its marvel. For all eternity, we will be in awe and joy that God the Father has loved us. In Greco-Roman culture, adoption was for young men of, of good character, and yet, God chose to adopt us of sinful character. In that culture, they would adopt for the good of the parent so that they can take care of the property, that so they can take care of the couple in their old age. But adoption, God does not need. He's adopting for our good. In adoption at the time, at that moment, all the rights, blessings, and privileges were for the adopted child. But for us, though we are adopted, the fullness of the blessings are still to come. One day it will be complete. John says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so while only justification was mentioned until verse 13, now we focus on adoption. In adoption, in justification, we no longer have God as judge, but in adoption, we have God as Father. In justification, he accepts us. In adoption, he desires us. He loves us. In justification, we live a righteous life before him. In adoption, we live life with him. The courtroom proceedings of justification turned into an adoption ceremony. He makes us part of his family and he brings us home. So God doesn't just simply acquit and give us a clean file. He makes you a member of his family and invites you home forever. In adoption, we have something far more than what justification provides. It is grace above and beyond. Justification has cleared the way in a sense for that crown blessing of adoption. Last November, Trina and I visited Switzerland for a very crucial and very serious oral surgery. The city where the clinic was located was two to three hours from the Child Evangelism Fellowship European Center. Thirteen years ago, Trina spent three months in that center, in that 500-year-old monastery on the top of a mountain to be trained in children's ministry. We had to go back. We were two hours, three hours away. And by God's grace, an extra day opened up of the trip that wasn't part of the plan. And God provided a wonderful Christian missionary who was willing to drive us all the way there in traffic. Turned out to be eight hours and then took us to the airport to go back to the airport. uh, To the hotel, back to the airport. As we got close, it was beautiful. I mean, it's Switzerland. It's beautiful already. But as we drove up the mountain, it was a bit cloudy and gray, and and yet it was still stunning. But in in a moment as we were driving up the mountain, everything changed. We rose up above the clouds, and we were not able to see the, the city anymore. And then we reached a scenery of beauty like I have not seen before. Large, vast, green mountains under a golden sun. I thought of the new heavens and the new earth. We beheld a beauty that was hard to believe. It was real and we were in awe. And adoption brings us to such a beauty of salvation that we are left in awe. We thought salvation was already beautiful. But when we get to this, to this climax, to this crown blessing that God is our Father, that's a whole new level of beauty. A theologian said that the revelation to the believer that God is his Father in is, in a sense, the climax of the Bible. But there's more. For the adoption of verse 14 and 15 is provided by the same Spirit who also provides us the assurance of this salvation. The assurance of this adoption in verse 16 Follow with me. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We become children once, but He continually bears witness. He continually testifies, reminds us. He not only bestows adoption, He confirms it. He not only brings us to the status of children, but He provides a deep and real and personal experiential awareness of Him as Father. It is one. Thing to grasp this truth with our minds, it is quite another to rest in this truth with our hearts. Beloved, do you have that assurance? Is the Spirit testifying to you that yes, you are a child of God because you have faith? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Do you feel Him pouring the fatherly love into your heart? The Spirit convicts us of sin. The Spirit shows us Christ. The Spirit makes us real to us. The Spirit gives us new life now and promises for new life to come. He adopts us. So on the one hand, we have this truthful, authoritative scripture. But on the other hand, we have the Holy Spirit who provides genuine assurance to us that this is very much real. He testifies and reminds us that God is surely for us and with us and in us because of Christ The essence of the doctrine of adoption now leads us to the wonderful blessings of adoption. Let's move on now to the blessings because of what we know as children of God. I will point out three different ways in which we are blessed as children of God. Three ways that we experience the goodness of this Father. First, number one, holiness. Having been set free, having not not only been justified but also adopted... And also awakened by the Spirit to this joy, we walk in holiness. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. The children are led in sanctification. Since the word for, in the beginning of this verse, connects us back to verse 13. He he is leading us, and that is what enables us, according to verse 13, to put to death the deeds of the body. We are able to kill sin for it is the Spirit who is leading us. He provides us all that we need for life and godliness. Remember from verse 5 that there are two mindsets. And according to Galatians 5, they are different but also opposing to one another. Of the flesh and of the Spirit, the flesh is hostile to God, does not please God, and it leads to death. But now, now the Spirit is leading where verse 29 to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers beloved spirit is leading us so that day by day we become more and more like christ and as we become like christ he is all the more glorified he is leading us there and he is giving us both the heart and the strength to put sin to death with that goal in mind and so friends if The Spirit is leading us to the fullness of salvation, to greater intimacy with the Father, to a transformation to His image. Why would we slow Him down? Why would we get in the way? Why would we settle for and give in to the past slavery of fear? Why clog the flow of our sanctification with the foolishness of our sins? Why reject the Spirit? Why grieve the Spirit by choosing sin instead? Let us strive not to grieve Him by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. No. Knowing where the Spirit is leading us, let us run after him with eagerness and joy. Let us fight against sin as a non-negotiable. Let us with all our might choke and get rid of and abstain from all temptation and all lies of the evil one and all forms and kinds of sin, all hints of our old self. As the Spirit leads, let us get more nauseated by our sins, turned off by them and pursue holiness. Second is prayer. Another blessing in adoption. In Christ, God is a good father. He leads us in holiness and he invites us to prayer. Verse 15, But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. In Matthew 7, Jesus points out, Obviously, that an earthly father will not give a stone to a child who asks for bread or a serpent to a child who asks for fish. And then he says, how much more, your heavenly father, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The same good that Romans 8.28 speaks of. He is giving good to his children. Of course, and all the more, the father knows what is good. And so even today, right now, do not ignore and do not doubt his fatherly goodness. Don't be hesitant to pray because you have been confused with unanswered prayers or about the workings of God in your life. You might not understand his infinitely wise plans you might not see the working out of His providence, but you can surely trust in the goodness of His heart. He will give you what is good. Beloved, do not be afraid. For if the spirit of adoption that has evicted the spirit of fear is living in you, He will give you the strength you need. You do not need to be afraid about praying anymore. You are not unwelcome to the holiest of holies. The curtain tore when Christ died and you are invited you are called you have access to the throne of grace with confidence to find grace and help in time of need this provides extreme comfort both in the good days and in the hardest of days on the days when you see the goodness of God as father it's very clear to you and when it is hard to believe we pray With the assurance and leading of the Spirit, we come to God and we cry out, Abba, Father, this is a very intense prayer. This is a broken prayer. We hear this cry throughout the Psalms. We hear this cry from people who were hurting in the Gospels. We hear this cry from Christ on the cross in Matthew 27. Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And so the cry of a father is not a sweet prayer of a young child, but it is more than that. It is a cry of groaning. One author said it is a primal scream through theology. He is groaning. He is crying out. Abba, Father, do you cry this way? In these moments, we are at a loss of words. It is too painful to pray. Our prayers are short, and the groanings are very deep. But according to verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. It's a beautiful Greek word. It implies that He is with us and for us and will help us. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. He takes our crooked prayers and makes them straight on the way to heaven. He takes our prayers that we don't know what they are and and how to pray and what to pray. The Spirit understands, the Spirit helps, and he brings our prayers before the Father. But also there is Christ who died and rose again, sitting at the Father's right hand, According to verse 34, he is interceding for us. Do we forget that we can and we ought to pray broken and genuine and heartfelt cries before the Lord? Are we so comfortable with this orphanage world that we lose sight of and are slow to long for our real home in heaven where our adoption will be complete? Let us groan, let us cry for, let us long for that to be real. And third blessing is inheritance. The Spirit gives us the assurance that we are children, and if children, then heirs. The Spirit now turns our attention to what is to come. In verse 23, we read, Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait, Eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. He, He says, if we suffer with him, so that we will be glorified with him, verse 17. And so let us not be surprised by suffering in the Christian life. For if we have been united to Christ by faith, we share in his glory if we are sharing in his sufferings. That's chronological. Sufferings then glory, but it's also causal. Suffering so that we can have this glory. In Philippians, Paul says that knowing Christ is surpassing greatness to everything else. He longs to know Christ, to gain Christ, to share in his sufferings, and by any means possible, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. God made a promise in Genesis to Abraham and to his offspring that he would be heirs of the world. But in Galatians 3, he clarifies. He doesn't say offsprings in plural, but singular. One offspring. And so from the line of Abraham, there will be one heir, and that is Christ. And he will inherit all things. But then, later on in Galatians 3, he says, But if you are in Christ, then you are of Abraham's offspring as well. And so you also are an heir of all things. Christ, to whom was appointed as as heir of all things, Hebrews 1.3, We are co-heirs with him. You will not lose anything good as you suffer. It's hard to believe. Because you are co-heirs with Christ. And you will gain. You will gain. And so in light of that... All our suffering is momentary and light compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. In the most helpful book I've read on suffering in the last year or two, Pastor Tim Keller, in his book, Walking with God in Pain and Suffering, says the following, quote, And Jesus took away the only kind of suffering that can really destroy you. That is to be cast away from God. He took that so that now... All suffering that comes into your life will only make you great. Jesus Christ suffered, not so that you would never suffer, but so that when we suffer, we would become like him. Even children suffer. Children of God, we are not saved from that. But our suffering is good because in the end it will make us like Christ. Suffering will never rob us of anything that is ultimately good. Nothing will keep us from this inheritance. And God will never annul or let go of his adoption until we come home. At the age of 18, Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon about Christian happiness. He had three points. Number one, speaking of the Christian, their bad things will work out for the good. Amen. Number two, their good things cannot be taken away. Amen again. Number three, their best things are yet to come. The best things in the life of the children are still to come. There is a day coming when the adoption will be perfect. And so when it feels that it is all and only loss, as we suffer all day in various kinds, let us see what we can't see. I pray that having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. I pray that God would open your eyes that you can see this inheritance that is coming. You have God, and in some sense, He is our inheritance, He is the prize. To enjoy Him forever. Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What more do we want? The good news of heaven is not heaven. It is not being saved from hell. It is not to live forever. It is not to be free from sickness. The good news is God. He is our portion forever. In a sense, He is our inheritance. And so we behold Him and we shall become like Him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. As we behold, we will become. As we behold the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. And so the glory will be revealed to us. Romans 8.18 We will see it. We will experience it. We can be sure of this. That the glory that has begun will surely be consummated on the final day. If we have been predestined, called, justified, we will surely be glorified. Romans 8.30 And with such daring anticipation, he writes in the past tense, We can be sure that Christ will forever make us new, and we will image the Father. We will image God. We are there, not fully yet, but one day will be. In Christ, He is truly and perfectly your Father who is with you and for you. There is no other love like this. I have told Ezra that I love him I love him so much, my love can reach the moon and back. I'm sure you've heard that. I love you to the moon and back. But then I tell him, no Ezra, I love you more. I love you a hundred times to the moon and back. And he repeats the same. And it comes to a point that we don't need to say the whole sentence. We don't need to say, I love you a hundred times to the moon and back. We just say hundred. I look at him and I say hundred. He looks at me and says hundred. Tiniest of glimpses, Of the fatherly love for you. So much more rich. So much more real. So much more reliable and good. Above and beyond anything else. Is the love of God the Father to his children. In goodness. He loved you. He adopted you. And he will surely be good to you. He freed you from condemnation and he made you his own. You have been given life, but also the Father has given you of himself, and we can run in holiness, and we can come to him in prayer, and we can wait for that inheritance because he is good to you, that is both rich and very real. Mikani Vargan uram,